This is the Hasidic Story Project with Barack Holman, podcasting from Jerusalem, Israel. This podcast is sponsored by listeners just like you. To become a supporter of this podcast, please go to HasidicStory.com. H-A-S-I-D-I-C Story.com. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. Shalom Aleichem, my sweetest friends. I'm dedicating this episode to the continued success of our soldiers, Be'ezat Hashem, wherever they are. The returning of all the hostages, whole, complete, and healthy, Be'ezat Hashem. The refuah complete recovery of all those that were injured or are sick, and the comforting of the families of those that lost loved ones. So this week I have two stories for you. The first is about a chassid who lived in the Ukrainian town of Tsheznik. And his name was Reb Beryl. Now, Reb Beryl was a chassid of the great Rebbe, Reb Mordechai of Chernobyl. Everybody knows, of course, that Reb Mordechai of Chernobyl was one of the closest chassidim of the Hedege Baal Shem Tov. And these days, you know, we know the city of Chernobyl for the nuclear meltdown in the time of the Soviet Union. But back in those days, the only nuclear reaction that was happening was Hasidic Fabrengens and Jews being motivated and inspired by great tzaddikim, the Greb Mordechai. Reb Beryl, although he wasn't very wealthy, he had inherited a very large house from his grandfather. And he was a good-hearted man, both he and his wife. They had a lot of guests. They had many rooms where they would host people for free. They had beds and mattresses and a real factory going on in the kitchen as people were constantly coming to be fed by Reb Beryl and his wife. And whenever the Rebbe, the Chernobyl Rebbe, Reb Mordechai came to Chesnik, he always stayed with Reb Beryl. And Reb Beryl and his family were greatly honored by the Rebbe staying with them. And they waited the entire year, or sometimes longer, for whenever the Rebbe would come. Now Reb Beryl wasn't just a chassid of Reb Mordechai. They were personal friends. And Reb Mordechai was his teacher, and his rabbi, and his mashpia, and his Rebbe. And Reb Beryl would go over the teachings of the Chernobyl Rebbe and would tell stories about the Rebbe. And that's what kept his spirits up, despite the difficult life the Jews had back in those days. So you can only imagine how joyous Reb Beryl was when he heard that the Rebbe was coming to town. Reb Beryl and his family spent the entire week cleaning up the whole house, polishing every corner, every nook and cranny. preparing foods that the Rebbe liked, making sure he had the Svarim, the holy books that he studied from, and a quiet place to sit and learn, just like the Rebbe liked. And sure enough, just like every time when the Rebbe came, the Rebbe's personal secretary came to Reb Beryl's house to see if everything was ready and in order for the Rebbe. And so Reb Beryl was very excited when the secretary came, but this time he had a strange look on his face. It wasn't the usual big smile that he came with. The secretary says to Reb Beryl, Beryl, I'm so sorry. And Beryl said, what, is something wrong? Is the Rebbe okay? And the secretary said, well, Beryl, it's like this. The Rebbe is fine, but he's just not staying in your house. And Beryl, he said, why? What did I do? What happened? And the secretary said, everything's fine, Beryl. It's just that the Rebbe said he's not staying here. And actually, he never wants to see you again unless you bring him 2,000 rubles. And Reb Beryl, he said, what? And the secretary, he continued, he said, the Rebbe said he doesn't want you to come to any of his meals 
He doesn't want to see you in shul. He doesn't even want you watching him walk in the streets. Nothing ever again unless you bring him the 2,000 rubles. So they shook hands, and the Rebbe's secretary left, and Reb Beryl is sitting there, saying to himself, 2,000 rubles? How am I going to come up with 2,000 rubles? He didn't have a lot of energy. He called to his wife, Hanale, come, I need to talk with you. And she comes running in. She says, Beryl, what's wrong? You look white. And Beryl told her the whole story. The Rebbe doesn't ever want to see them again unless they bring him 2,000 rubles. In those days, 2,000 rubles was a fortune. It was like a million dollars. And so they started doing a little bedikat chametz, checking everything in the house. And they came to the conclusion that even if they sold everything in the house and took out loans, they would only reach one-third of the amount of the 2,000 rubles. Now normally, if they had a problem like this, they would go to their Rebbe and ask him for advice and a blessing. But now, the Rebbe had abandoned them. And they couldn't understand what had they done to deserve such a terrible fate. They needed their Rebbe. They needed his guidance. They needed his prayers. And the two of them start going back in their memory, trying to figure out what had they done. And they couldn't figure it out. So they decided they would daven. Because as we know, Hashem decides what's going to be from Rosh Hashanah to Rosh Hashanah. But he gives us the chance to change the course of the year through davening. That's right, my friends. Anything can be changed through davening. And so they grabbed books of Psalms of Tehillim and start reading and rereading aloud most of the night and the next day over and over again. Day after day, crying out to Hashem, What did we do, Hashem? Please have mercy on us and send us the money. We need to give the Rebbe the money. But an entire week passed. There was no money. There was no Rebbe. And they felt all alone and hopeless. And just when they thought that things couldn't get any worse, they did. An entire battalion of anti-Semitic, Jew-hating Russian soldiers who had just returned from some battle somewhere started taking over some of the houses. And when they saw Beryl's house and how big it was and all the beds he had inside, they packed 75 soldiers into his house. And Beryl and his wife and kids, they had no choice. Either provide food and lodging for the soldiers, or chas v'shalom, a terrible punishment. <gasps> you know, just moments before all these soldiers, dirty, stinking, peasant soldiers, came into their beautiful home, they had cleaned it for the Rebbe, but the soldiers didn't care. They quickly went and ate everything in the house, took all of the beds and mattresses, and slept wherever they wanted and Reb Beryl and his wife and children ended up sleeping outside in the barn where they kept their horses. <laughs> but at least they were alive. Things could be worse. And then suddenly, in the middle of the night, there was the sound of military trumpets. Beryl looks out of the barn, and he sees soldiers running out of all the houses on his block, as well as his, with all their gear. The trumpets were a call to order, and now Beryl was concerned that the order was to kill all of the Jews, chas v'shalom, God forbid. So he and his wife started saying psalms all over again. But to their relief, the soldiers got on their horses and rode off, just like they had come in. And now Reb Beryl and his wife and their kids, they dragged themselves back into their house in the middle of the night. 
and it looked like a storm had gone through the whole house. It was a mess. Beds were broken. The stairs were broken. The kitchen was a disaster. There was food all over the place. They went into their room, and their bed wasn't broken. They lay down on the mattress, and they went to sleep. At least they were back in their home and in their own bed. While Beryl was sleeping, the soldiers came back and they were going through every single house, one at a time. But for some reason, every time they passed by Beryl's house, they would literally walk from the house next to him to the other house next to him. And they didn't come in his house. After a few hours, they left town. But Beryl and his wife had no idea that the soldiers had come back because they were so exhausted from being up all night. They didn't even hear them going from house to house. In the morning, Beryl gets up to wash his hands and say Bekot Shachar, say the morning prayers. And when he puts his feet down to put them on the floor, he notices that there's a little wooden crate right under his feet. He wakes up his wife. He says, Hanala, what do you think we should do with this? She said, we'll open up the crate and see what's inside. So he opened it up, and it was filled with golden coins. And the two of them were looking at each other, and they realized that the soldiers had left the coins in their house. They didn't know what to do. They waited for a few months, waiting for somebody to come back and claim the money, but they didn't. And so they went to the Chernobyl Rebbe and said to him, Rebbe, what are we supposed to do? The Rebbe said, did it have any markings on the crate? Any name? Any connection to the soldiers so that we can know who it belongs to? And they said no. He said, is there any special markings on the gold coins? Anything that would identify it as belonging to the government or something like that? And they said no. They were just simple gold coins. So the Rebbe said, in that case, you can keep the money. And so Rebbeel and his wife took the equivalent of 2,000 rubles of the money, which was only a small amount of the gold coins, and they gave it to the Rebbe. And the Rebbe smiles... And he pushes the money back. And he said, Beryl, this money is yours, including the 2,000 rubles. And Beryl said, but Rebbe, I thought you wouldn't see me again. You would never come to my house again unless I brought you 2,000 rubles. So Rebbe, here's the money. I want you to come to my house again. And the Rebbe said, no, Beryl, you don't understand. It wasn't that I needed 2,000 rubles. The Rebbe said, Beryl, I saw in heaven that this fortune was waiting for you. Because of all the chesed you did, all the guests you had in your home, all the food that you fed to people. But there were two things that you were missing. One was humility, and the other was davening. And he said to Beryl, you know, you host me every year. Because you host the Rebbe, it gave you a little bit of false self-confidence. You felt like you deserved it, and you never really broke down and prayed to Hashem with all your heart for anything in your whole life. And I saw those two things were preventing you from receiving a fortune. Your pride in hosting me, and you're never really davening from the depths of your heart. So I created a situation where you would have to ask Hashem for everything, where you wouldn't be able to host me, and it would break you. And as a result, you would daven. And between the two, you would achieve the humility and the davening that you needed to receive what was yours all along. And now that you've received this fortune, Reb Beryl, I want you to continue with your chesed and tzedakah and helping other Jews. You should have a long and healthy life. And you should be healthy, you and your wife and your children, for the rest of your life. And so it was that Reb Beryl and his wife and their children continued doing chesed until their final days. 
just like the Rebbe had promised. I have another story for you. This story took place in the time of Reb Shmuel of Lubavitch, who was the fourth Lubavitcher Rebbe, also known as the Rebbe Maharash, who passed away in 1882. During the time of the Rebbe Maharash, there was a non-Jewish nobleman who lived in the area of Vitebsk and owned the entire village of Chekhov. And most of the town of Chekhov was filled with Jews that were the Hasidim of the Rebbe Maharash. Now this nobleman was very kind to the Jews. He liked them. And anyone who was poor was exempt from paying taxes. And all of the jobs of the religious community, the rabbi, the shochet, the teachers, anyone that had a job connected to Kedusha, to holiness, the nobleman not only allowed them to do what they wanted, but didn't tax them either. But after many years of good relations with the nobleman, he got very sick. And the older he got, the weaker he became. And eventually, he had to visit the doctor in Vitebsk more and more. He got so sick that unfortunately, he couldn't manage his property anymore, and he gave it over to one of his assistants, who was a violent Jew hater. And this manager, along with the local priest, decided that they were going to take away the kind policies of the sick nobleman. Not only did they require taxes from everyone, even the poorest families, they taxed the rabbi and the shul and the shochet and the melamdim and everyone who previously had been exempt from taxes. And for two years, these two anti-Semites, the nobleman's manager and the priest, made the lives of the Jews in Chekhov absolutely miserable. Since so many of the Jews in Chekhov were Chabad Hasidim, they often went to visit their Rebbe on festivals and Shabbases, and they would ask for brachas, for blessings, for children or livelihood. But no one amongst the hundreds of Jews that went there ever mentioned to the Rebbe the change in policy after the nobleman got sick. And there was one local Jew who did business with the nobleman, and his name was Reb Shmiel Isaacs, and everyone respected him. He was known as an honest and upright businessman, and he spent all of his free time studying Torah and also learned Kabbalah, the mystical aspects of the Torah. In one year, the year 1880, he was visiting Lubavitch for the holiday of Shavuot, and when he's talking with the Rebbe, the Rebbe, the Rebbe Maharash, asks Reb Shmiel Isaacs, so what's going on in your town? And Reb Shmiel, he said, well, the truth is, the nobleman, he got sick, and the new manager and the priest, they're making things very hard for us. They're overtaxing us, and some people can't make a living. And the Rebbe said, but why didn't you tell me about this? All of the people from Chekhov have come here, and nobody told me anything about it. And Reb Shmiel Isaacs, he didn't have an answer. So the Rebbe sat there quietly for a few minutes. He said, please, when you go home, if you happen to see the nobleman, Please tell him in my name that I know that his doctors have given up on him, but I promise him that if he helps the Jews of Chekhov in the neighboring villages, that Hashem will give him one month's health for every family that he helps. In Reb Shmiel Isaacs, he went back home, and of course he couldn't get in to see the Count, the nobleman, because the nobleman was very sick, but he knew that he had a mission, so he started hanging out around the house of the nobleman. And one day, the nobleman's doctor said to him, maybe you should go for a ride in the countryside and get some air. And that was Reb Shmiel Isaac's chance to speak with the nobleman. He sees him coming out. 
And he sees that the nobleman is very weak and pale. And he says, Your Honor. And the nobleman recognizes Reb Shmuel Isaacs right away. He says, Please, Shmuel, please come get into the carriage and ride with me. And right away, Reb Shmuel Isaacs, he says, Listen, I was by my Rebbe. And he said, For every Jewish family that you help here in Chekhov and the neighboring villages, the Rebbe promises you one month of health for each family. So the nobleman told his assistant, put together a list of all the Jews living in all of his properties. And he told his manager, go out and visit every single one of these Jews and find out what they need. Over a few weeks, the count received a list of more than 160 families that lived in his properties. And one by one, he made sure to help every family. And slowly his health started to improve until it got to the point where he could go out and help the families himself. And of course, he asked Reb Shmuel Isaacs to help him, and the two of them became very close. And every year, the nobleman would send a lulav in Hadassim from his own gardens as a gift to the Rebbe and to Reb Shmuel Isaacs for the holiday of Sukkot. And for 14 years, the nobleman continued to remain healthy, but then, all of a sudden, he began feeling weak. Now, the Rebbe Maharash had passed away in 1882, two years after he had made this deal with the nobleman. And the nobleman calls for Reb Shmuel Isaacs, and he said, Please, I want you to go to the grave of your Rebbe in Lubavitch and tell the Rebbe that I'm beginning to feel sick again. But according to my calculations, I'm still owed another year and seven months of life. Please tell the Rebbe that his promise has to be fulfilled. And so what do you do in a situation like that, my sweetest friends? Reb Shmiel Isaacs, he went to the grave of the Rebbe Maharash, and he davens, and he says to Hillam, and he waits, and he waits, and he waits for a sign, and eventually, it's late at night, and Reb Shmiel Isaacs closes his eyes and falls asleep. <sighs> and as soon as he falls asleep, the Rebbe Maharash is standing in front of him, and he said, please tell the nobleman that he will get his other year in seven months. And if he continues finding more Jewish families to help, I promise that I will daven for him, even here in the world to come, that for every family he helps, he will get one more month of good health. And the nobleman continued helping Jewish families, not just so he can continue to live, but because he really enjoyed helping the Jews. Until eventually, at the ripe old age of 90, he passed away, and the whole Jewish community came to escort him to his final resting place. Thank you so much for listening, my sweetest friends, as always. Thank you to all the contributors of the podcast. And thank you to all the listeners. Please keep on sharing and leaving me your feedback. And until next week, my sweetest friends, I hope you only have revealed good, good health, good parnasa, shalom bayit, chasidish anachas from your children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and them from you. So until next week, my sweetest friends, 
Sei gesund. Take care of yourselves.